All right, welcome back to another podcast, another episode of the Epic Meta Podcast. Today we'll be uh, essentially reviewing, but also discussing uh, and uh, sharing our thoughts about the book Freakonomics. Um, George, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. How are you? Happy Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Fourth as well. So uh, I got yesterday off, but I guess you uh, you had to work. Yeah. Um... So one of my jobs I had off, but the other one I get paid by the hour, so mm. it didn't really. Um, Do you get Monday too, or no? You have to work both on Monday. I don't even know. It, it, both the jobs I work from home, so you know you're always so, working. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> always working, but always not working at the same time. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. I think a lot like you, you. You know, you you have this unique experience because you've done it for a long time. But a lot of people, including me, haven't done it for a long time. And so I think the whole world slash society is kind of adjusting to that mode where you're kind of half working, half not almost all the time. For at least, so thank God for my role. It's, it's very easy. I just walk away from the computer. <laughs> Whereas most people, they have, you know, things on their phone and they can start still sending emails and, and whatnot. So it's always kind of on and always kind of off, heaven, half out kind of situation. But Yeah, uh, yeah my boss um, or one of my bosses has been uh, harassing me to take PTO because I haven't taken one day since the beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, since I work from home, it's so flexible that, you know, if I need to do something, I can just do it. I don't need to take a day off. And yeah, but I guess the numbers, there's some, some sort of, uh, I don't know, they, in the budget for the year, they, it, it makes sense for people to actually use their PTO, but I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. how that works or, but for some reason he's been getting pressure from his bosses to tell mm-hmm. everyone else under him to, to take their PTO. So. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's like, yeah. fine, fine, I'll take my PTO. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, before uh, we, before this podcast and talking to me, I suppose, did you ever hear about Freakonomics, the book? Yes, I, I, the title was familiar to me. I, I hadn't read it, and I didn't have any familiarity with the content of the book itself, but mm. I was aware that it existed. Cool. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan of um. I mean the book itself, but uh, you know, moving on from that, um, as to the rest of their work, which is a podcast and like some of the other stuff and the general territory that they explore is very interesting to me. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what drew me in and and kind of kept a hook on me, even though I I you know follow other podcasts or follow other things. Um, Freakonomics kind of like that core. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever not, uh, follow them. So, um, so we did, um, for, for the listeners, we did (laughs) due to my, (laughs) due to my, uh, uh, you know, timeline and schedule. And then I guess most more, you know, energy, uh, as well. I, I read only, I had to reread and I read only three of the chapters, I did read a little bit more of the epilogue as well, um, but for those who um, who are following, so we're going to go into d- 
deeper uh, discussion point on some of the chapters. We, we selected three. However, I just want to get your take on the whole book itself, uh, since this is your first uh, read through. Uh, so what do you think? Um, so I thought there were some interesting ideas that uh, they discussed. Um, there were, I'm going to be honest, there were a few times when I began to zone out a little. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. It, and then that got me to thinking, you, you had asked in the last podcast, and I think this is what you were getting at, like, you know, what, what's my interest in free will or the, or philosophy and that sort of thing. Cause I think you mm. tend to zone out, um, mm. when consuming that material. Mm -hmm. So I, I got perspective on, on your experience through reading, <laughs> uh, Freakonomics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so did you, would you say that you like it or don't like it in general? Um, you know, uh, as I said, there were there were a few ideas that I found interesting, mm. uh, but the general pace of the book and the way it was written and um, it 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 didn't grab me. I'll, mm. I'll put it that way. Okay, cool. So it's more like homework for you. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, and, as a, and so I listened to an audio version. I didn't read it. Same, same. I also listened to the, I re-listened to the audio version. I did think you, the first. Did you, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but uh, did you find that, um, that every so often there were these musical interludes that they would mm -hmm. play? Mm -hmm. And it seemed like they were not, I, it wasn't logical in the, in the places that they would, they would insert those. I, um, there was I didn't, I, there was a couple times where it seemed like they were in the middle of something and then the music <laughs> would start and it would stop and then the, so there's music to play them out and then there's music to play them back in again and and then they would just start up again and it it I was wondering like did they put those in when they needed to take a bathroom break when, during the recording session? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. I think for something like this, it's, it's actually, you know, uh, they're actually pretty sure they plan it and, and try to do their best they can. I didn't diagnose that as deep as you did, uh, <laughs> but I enjoyed it when it was happening. It was only very short. So it, it basically, if you were... You know, when you're driving or thinking about this stuff, it gives you a break. Uh, so that that's, I think that's the design and the intention. Whether or not it has the effect is is different. But yeah. for me, it was it was uh, it was a nice break. Two uh, two, two things on that. Uh, the mm -hmm. the music obviously is very neutral. It's like upbeat, neutral. I, I mean, I, elevator music. Yeah, yeah, kind of elevator music. But it, I, I'm assuming it's it's intended to sort of. I don't know, put you in the mindset that whatever they were talking about has just concluded and, you know, now mm -hmm. you're a better person for having, you know, absorbed <laughs> that information or whatever. And, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, yeah. It got me to thinking about how you inserted music into our last podcast to like, the idea was to sort of um, put a capstone or, or separate different topics that we were discussing but mm -hmm. when i was listening to it 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 didn't feel it it just it seemed more of a distraction than than an actual than something that would aid the 
the mm-hmm. consumption of the information. So I, I don't know. There's some connection there. Like, did, did you <laughs> did you listen back to our last uh, podcast? Uh, most of it, yeah. So uh, with when a particular we talk... ear ear to the music. So when I put the music in, I would listen when I was doing editing, when I put the music in, I would listen to essentially segments where the music was play. Um, And so I was listening with an editing mode so that when it goes to a certain point, I wanted you to have um, just basically an air of uh, ease of conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if that would, you know, that, uh, effect wasn't achieved then uh you know really there's no point and if you listen to a longer well i guess different podcasts have different styles so i listen to freakonomics the most right i do listen to other one but typically they're only like 30 minutes news z kind of information mm-hmm. um this book when i first time i read it and i don't know how you are like when other than novels that are like movies when i read a book that is a non-fiction uh, so it's just, you know, information and, and discussion. I, I I have to stop because my brain is limited and I can only intake so much. <laughs> so it's kind of like, like a professor teaching a class or something. After a while, you know, I'm already gone. And uh, I figure out this is why classes are around uh, 50 minutes to an hour and a half because people can't concentrate that much. Um well, and that's the benefit so, of, of reading an actual book as opposed to listening right. to it on audio because you can zone right. out when you when you listen to it on on audio. If you mm-hmm. zone out while reading, you can just put it down and then continue from where you left off. Right, right. So yeah, a lot of time I have to rewind, uh, I guess, or uh, re-listen with uh, with audio versions. But because I was already exposed to this, I kind of just I already got the gist of it. So mm-hmm. I can follow what they're talking about a little bit faster. Cool. Uh, I forgot to put in the agenda and we're going to do it now is um, something uh, I call um, edits and, and take back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember maybe two, three episodes ago, uh, there was one where I talk about the graffiti theory with policing. Do you remember? Yes. Uh, with, yeah. I don't remember what episode we did that on, but that was a mistake. Uh, so for those who are... <laughs> <laughs> who's keeping track and if they can keep track better that's great because now i don't you know as, a, as my yeah as my own content creator i don't remember when i put out false information which is critical if you're a, a journalist you need to know well what, then, what, yeah. what specifically are you referring to when you so say the gra- graffiti um uh we talked about policing and i bring up the idea that if you have heard of this thing or phenomenon back in the 90s where mm-hmm. the police started painting over graffitis and it diminished crime rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a wrong uh, was this wrong um, quoting mechanism because now reading, re- reading this book, uh, I now learned that what I thought was the truth was basically my brain rewiring and, and you know, incorrectly. <laughs> and we know that uh, that's not actually, you know, accountable. Uh, reducing well, crime rates is actually accountable so, for something else. Yeah. But, so I, I think the idea was that, you know, if the police took care of, of minor crimes, right, then that would decrease the number of major crimes that were committed. Right. 
And that, that so, was a, a major theory that they were talking about in terms of New York City when mm-hmm. Rudolph Giuliani was mayor. And, yep. Um, but so Freakonomics challenges that, that theory. Right. So uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost, I'm like 99% sure in the previous episode, when, which whenever that was, when I brought it up, I was... Uh, referencing Freakonomics, but I was referencing it incorrectly because that's not the main theory, um, you know, uh, or supported information. So, yeah, I, I mean, I so don't know that's, that it... that's my only edit to uh, to that. But... Okay, and, and <laughs> I don't I don't know that the case has been closed on that particular subject. Correct. Yep. Um, there there are a lot of people who believe that. Um, you know, policing smaller crimes will will have like a trickle up tech, uh, effect. effect. Um, and that may or may not be true. I, certainly mm-hmm. in the 90s, the police in New York yep. City um, used that technique and there were there was a large drop in crime. But so Freakonomics m- makes the argument that that drop in crime didn't have anything to do with those mm-hmm. policing techniques, but rather it had to do with something else. Um, right. And we'll get into cool. that. Cool. Yeah. So I think going forward, uh, you know, right after the introduction, <laughs> we might implement some, uh, some edits or, uh, or add on uh, to previous conversation as well. In case, in case there's anything like that, that you want to recorrect. Or, oh, sure. Uh, correct. Yeah. We want yeah. our audience to have faith in us. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So, um, uh, <clears throat> Maybe next episode, but you know, do you have anything uh, right off the top of your head that you want to add to or uh, correct from previous recordings? Anything stood out? I know it's unplanned for you, but uh, yeah, I can't think of anything just... right off the he- top of my head. But if I if something does occur to me, I'll I'll, I'll bring it up. Yeah. So let's uh, share because uh, I'm sure you have it written down uh, than I do. Um, the three chapters we're going to cover, and then you can go directly to the uh, the first chapter and share uh, your thoughts. Okay, so the, the three chapters I uh, picked as interesting were uh, one is called "How does How is the Ku Klux Klan like real estate agents?" Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the full title in front of me. I just wrote down "How is the Ku Klux Klan like dot dot dot." <laughs> yep. So that Real was estate agents. That was the correct one. Yep. Uh, and the other, the next chapter is why do drug dealers still live with their moms? And the final chapter is where have all the criminals gone? Which has to do with what we were just talking about. Yep. So should we start out with the Ku Klux Klan? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the major premise of this chapter is that. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan uh, was intriguing to people who were not in the Ku Klux Klan and therefore uh, drove membership uh, to that organization because of their secrecy. Mm. They had like secret handshakes and secret passwords and their meetings were secret. <clears throat> and and, um, and this was back in the 20s when the Ku Klux Klan was, was a, a more a major force or yeah. And, um, so this one guy who infiltrated the clan and started releasing some of their secrets to the public and 
that supposedly had the effect of making people less interested in the Ku Klux Klan and, and their membership dropped off. Yep. And so the that's related to real estate agents in that uh, a real estate agent supposedly has specialized knowledge in the field of selling and buying houses. And that's why you want a real estate agent. So the theory goes on your side because you don't, you're not privy to all that information when you're selling a house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, the, the book used the specific example of real estate agents when they sell their own houses versus when they sell a, uh, a client's house is they're more incentivized to hold out for a higher price on their own house because mm-hmm. uh, they get a percentage of the sales price. Um, but when they're selling someone else's house, that, that percentage doesn't add up to all that much. So that, so they wouldn't, so let's say they were going to, there was an offer of $300,000 on your, on your house. Uh, if if they uh, held out on the sale until the buyer raised their offer to $350,000, they would only realize a couple hundred dollars worth of gain. Right. So it, they're incentivized to, to take the first substantial offer when they're selling mm-hmm. a house for a client. Now, yep. if they're selling their own house, then they make a much larger commission, obviously. So, so they're more... Right there's more incentive to hold out for a higher price. Yep. On average, it's uh, 10 days longer on the market listing uh, when they uh, sell their own uh, properties. Yeah. So what do you think? <clears throat> so so this gets into the question of, or the idea of incentives and how incentives work mm-hmm. on people to get them to act a certain way. Mm. And they also talked about... Um, in ter- Within the 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 subject matter of, of incentives, they also talked about a uh, a daycare in Israel where uh, the parents would show up late to pick up their kids. So right. in, so in order to get them to show up on time, they instituted a three dollar fine for anyone who was late, and that mm-hmm. had the exact opposite effect of what they intended. People. <laughs> more people started showing up late and they theorized that they were showing up late because a $3 fine was not that it was worth it to them to pay $3 and have their conscience conscience clear (laughs) when they picked up their kid late. Yeah. So, so the, the broader subject really has to do with, you know, how do we construct rules in our society to incentivize people to act in the way that we want them to. Yeah. And sometimes we construct rules that have the exact opposite effect because we haven't examined the data closely enough. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, my take on it is, is, is everything that you said, too. Uh, I want to add on that I like how some of the questions they pose and the research they've done demystify uh, uh, certain things. And mm-hmm. I like that a lot because it, it makes things. So, for example, when Zillow came out, it was a big, huge uh, thing for real estate agents. And basically, it takes a lot of their, you know, specialized knowledge away. And so um, now as a consumer, you're, you know, 
almost as educated as any real estate agent is. And that data or that service allows you to <clears throat> negotiate better. And so mm -hmm. I like that a lot with uh, some of the research they do because it brings forth uh, certain policy and effects that we didn't see coming. And so I guess with any organization, there is uh, <laughs> secret handshake and communication, uh, you know, and, and how you work inside that market is different than how you work outside that market, right? Um, yeah. And that makes, to me, it was fascinating. And I, I think the first time I read it, I was just drawn in and, uh, you know, just absorb everything <clears throat> almost immediately without the, without the ability to kind of just, you know, review it at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I, I love, I love uh, this stuff. Did you, but, but it's to not you, just, was... uh, it's not just access to the information that, that matters though, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of, uh, hassle involved in selling a house. There's sure. Yep. You know, it's, it's not just, okay, there's the negotiation aspect and some people aren't really good at negotiating. I mean, I would probably mm -hmm. put myself in that category. You know, I, I don't, it, it's very uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get out of it as quickly as possible. And yep. that's not a good place to be when you want to negotiate to get a higher price on your house. So mm -hmm. in that sense, it's good to have a disinterested third party to negotiate on your behalf. Because mm -hmm. um, even if they're not incentivized completely to get the highest price, they're incentivized to get a reasonable price. And maybe yeah. a little bit more than that. And so maybe they would do a better job than I would on my own. Also, there's yeah. like a ton of paperwork and it, it, you know, it, that disincentivizes me from wanting to sell my house is, <laughs> yeah. is, is to yeah, go through absolutely. all that hassle and the, and the, well, the real estate agent doesn't really have anything to do with the moving, but the moving is another mm. hassle too. Yeah. So, so it's not just information that counts, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. It's not just, you know, information where you where you get exposed to an act. However, uh, it's not just Zillow. There's another service in, I think, last year or two years now. It's called Open Door. And I think mm -hmm. the more and more in the future, you will still like so, you know, knowing this, I still purchase this house I'm sitting in uh, with a real estate agent. Just because some of the things you said and also uh, timeline as well. Uh, you just don't have the time to do some of the things. That said, I, I'm pretty sure I did 80% of the work in regarding to picking my house and shopping for my house. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, you would rely on the real estate agent to do a lot of that. Now, I would say the work is 50-50. Um, and depending on the state you live in, the you know the like you said the paperwork and the process that's how uh real estate agent kind of monopolize that process because they they can do it so fast and they can do it so quickly whereas um you know a civilian a regular person might not be as um as quick with that however there's a lot of services up and coming uh including you know automobile buying industries uh houses um you know just kind of take all that stuff and essentially make it a breeze uh, for the endpoint consumer. So there's a lot of places where, as a real estate agent, you have to evolve and kind of upskill yourself uh, mm -hmm. and transform yourself and work with this new model. Otherwise, you're um, 
you're kind of gonna you're gonna fall behind. So and and yeah. so one one thing that Freakonomics would um, assist me with going forward with real estate transactions is I would be aware that my agent might not be completely incentivized to get me the best price. So, you know, and I don't have to accept the offer that's um, given to me. I can hold out longer. I can say, Mm -hmm. I can tell my real estate agent, no, I want to hold out for a higher price. And, you know, they would have to do that. So, yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's good from that perspective with, with the book though, it seemed like that point could have been made much more quickly. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, yeah. They, agreed. They tended to go on and on and on and get in, into very gritty details that, that just, <laughs> you know, I, I was fighting zoning out. Like I, I yeah. really, you know, my mind would wander. Did you, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, my mind would wander, and then I would get into this uh, debate with myself over, okay, now is it my fault that my mind is wandering, or is it the fault of the of the, the writer of the book? And, <laughs> You're and, so and, meta. <laughs> and, also, and also, it's interesting that my mind is wandering, and that, that could be a subject that you know, yes. that we could talk yeah. about on this podcast. So you're that's... so meta on, uh, on your <laughs> diagnose of anything that just, it's not just the first reaction. You go that extra layer <laughs> of, of reviewing, you know, that extra stuff. And I'm, yeah, it's very, uh, I, I absolutely don't do that. Uh, <laughs> especially for, you know, especially for books. If I, if I read something and I don't like it and that's it, I'm like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to move on. Uh, <clears throat> so there's no, is, I guess, there's no uh, conflict in your mind that hmm, uh, maybe I should push myself a little harder and and get through this, or well, or are you just able to cut it off completely and uh, no, I'm not well, interested in this and no, I'm going to stop. Depends, right? So in school, like let let's say school for example, in that context, you know, if you have to pass a class, you're going to push as much as you can, right? Mm-hmm. However. Right after your class, you're like, at least for me, I, I immediately can find it. Okay, this is not this is not for me. This subject is not for me, and and you know whether or not I'm still interested, I'm just gonna have glean information over time from you know other sources or get a different teacher, um, or learn in a different way. And and whatever the information that I want to get to or know, will either have to wait, or uh, learn it with a different method. And the reason I bring that up is I don't know if you remember this because to me it was quite tra- <laughs> traumatic. So I, it, it stuck in my memory um, was algebra. Uh, so I don't know if you <laughs> the I was so I moved right when I was a child from Vietnam to to the United States. The the mathematical uh, mathematic uh, yeah the mathematics that was taught in Vietnam is based on Chinese um, mathematics program, which mm-hmm. is based on Russian mathematics program uh, because they're communist countries. So they, they kind of borrow each other's uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that program, to my understanding, without any you know research, so I could be 100% wrong here, uh, was based on the Industrial Revolution plus the space race. And so they were pushing STEM or especially mathematics, really hard 
and so your progress was uh, even so I was exposed to algebra at fifth and sixth grade. And mm-hmm. then when I came here, we didn't move from California to uh, uh, Ohio. So that's, you know, beside being, you know, multiple states have different and then different school have different things. Uh, I didn't get into algebra. I mean, the next few years was also algebra, like sixth, seven and eighth grade was, you know, deeper sets of algebra. And then high school is, is all different for me. Uh, but I remember it was much easier maybe because the education was different mm-hmm. and then the flow was different but i remember struggling really t- really hard uh and i hated algebra <laughs> but once it clicked I, it's kind of like riding a bike once it clicked i kind of just understood it i didn't have to do any extra processing and so it's it, it's the same way with anything else i learned as far as like books or things i read that you know, I, I just assume that, hey, it's just one is me, kind of like you, self-diagnosing. Two, how much do I want to put energy into this to <laughs> bypass or overcome that problem, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, if it wasn't for this podcast, I probably would have read Free Will, uh, Will up to a certain point and then to stop. I wouldn't have finished it, uh, you know. Not <laughs> so it seems like that's, that's like for you as well. Um, so I would take you and your reaction to this out mm-hmm. of the equation because sometimes we just have to be exposed to information differently mm-hmm. but um yeah i wouldn't worry too much about well, it but not, i guess you do i'm not worried about it i just find it interesting so yeah that's yeah why, absolutely that's where my brain my mind goes why so did you just wait just to clear things up so you're saying that the um the the teaching of mathematics in vietnam is is more advanced than in the United States. Is that what you're saying? They expose no. you to mathematical concepts earlier. I would, yes, that's the point, but also uh, learning models and receiving information, uh, different people take it at a different rate. And sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you need, you need to be uh, re exposed to information to consume it faster. That's it. That's the point. Okay. So, no, but yes. If you were reading a novel just for pleasure, mm-hmm. and you got maybe two hundred pages in and and still weren't grabbed by it, mm-hmm. are you saying you would you could just uh, jettison yourself from from the reading process at that point and and let yeah. it go? There's no absolutely. Like, okay, so there's no lingering like. Hmm. I've made I it would. this far. Maybe I should finish it. Uh, depends. If I get to halfway, I'll probably try to finish. Mm-hmm. So it depends, right? Like, let's say it's a murder mystery or a thriller. I'll mm-hmm. mostly finish it uh, because I want to find out what happens. But let's say if it's a lengthy novel or if it goes on, uh, like, for example, Lord of the Rings. Let's. I mm-hmm. read the first page and <laughs> I had to stop because I... I, you know, I'm just gonna watch the movies. Like this is ridiculous. It's the whole, the whole chapter talk about birthday party, and I'm like, I, I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> well, you kind of have to. Yeah, but you have to, you have that to said, give some faith to the author that they're taking you somewhere. You know. Right, right, right. Absolutely. I don't dismiss that the material is interesting and that the story will evolve. However, knowing myself, I was just like, mm, no, I, I. I never picked that up, booked that up again. Same thing with, um, so it's not, it's not the information itself. I don't have a need to finish. And I think being exposed to, um, 
you know, entertainment reading for an arm street blog that pretty much you don't have to finish book. And, you know, not every book is worth your time to finish. And mm-hmm. I take that to heart a lot because, you know, if the information isn't fascinating to me, um, I'll move on. Now, going back to the question, why did you pick this chapter if, you know, once you so I guess you did go through all of the chapters uh, for for this show. But if you didn't, if you weren't doing the show, and you were getting to this point where you were phasing out, or you know, yeah, when you were phasing out, would you have finished? Try and finish it. Uh, so would I have finished Freakonomics on my own had had this podcast not existed? Is it or this chapter or the chapter we're reviewing specifically? Um, no, I probably would not have finished it. Mm. Um, that said, though, I, I find the Ku Klux Klan and all uh, secret societies interesting. <laughs> mm. So that, that's why I picked this particular chapter. I, I also mm. find uh, criminal gangs interesting. So that's why I picked yeah. the, the drug. The other chapters. Chapter. Yeah. And, and crime in general. So, Yeah. Pretty cool. Any, any last thoughts? Well, I think that the subject of incentives is is interesting and worthy of study mm. and um, I, there's interesting stuff there I my mind I don't know statistics and math <laughs> uh, I'm just not I mean I'm okay with statistics and math but it's not it's not my primary source of interest um, mm-hmm. let's say and especially when they when they're talking about the data and you can look at it this way and that way and uh, you know it just and maybe it was just the way they wrote the book too yeah yeah because um, you liked previously you mentioned 538 right or i yeah. forgot what the so you like their stuff which is i think it's a Almost the same, uh, not the same, but it's I think po- being... polling and yeah, statistical analysis of polling data. Um, yeah, and so I I like their podcast, mm-hmm. and the reason why I like it, I think for the most part, is I like the personalities of of the, you know, the the commentary team <laughs> that that performs the podcast. Yeah, you know, so I might even zone out d- during some of the more technical discussions of of. Okay. A polling data. And mm. and frankly, I I don't even know what 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 the utility is of polling. I mean <laughs> a report and news? Yeah, Sampling. I mean, well, yeah, but. because people are gonna vote however they vote. So mm. why do you need to take successive polls, you know, one year out? You know, because six you're mo- curious. Six <laughs> because you're curious, right? Yeah. But I mean, what can you learn from that? And, Predicting and often, who's going to win. <laughs> but but oftentimes the polls are are wrong. Yes. <laughs> so what do you? So you so you're collecting all this data and you're making judgments on the data, and uh-huh. there's no there's no yeah uh, guarantee that the what your yep. judgments are 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 reflective of reality. So yeah, which I is mean, why I don't pay attention to that yeah. stuff, <laughs> but you do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So it's exactly. an interesting question. Why, why do I do that? <laughs> Given yeah. all this? And I don't know. The, you should, uh, you should ask that question for their new show. So I'm not, you know, we're not affiliate or being paid on anything. Uh, and for the, 
you know, as long as we can, I, I'm not going to pursue that model. However, um, Freakonomics host uh, is starting a new podcast where you can ask any question. Um, there are no stupid questions. So they're going to dig into deeper uh, into human psychology and economics and anything they can they can reference to, to answers. Hmm. Uh, so the one of the hosts of Freakonomics, uh, I think it's Stephen Dubner and uh, this other um, famous um I think writer and also researcher and whatnot is going to start a different podcast where you can ask anything. So uh, you should definitely, why am I interested in polling information without actually with, with knowing that, you know, the, the polling information is mostly wrong, but uh, so that's, uh, that's, there's another point to make uh, in that area. And that is, mm. so when you ask a question to a podcast host in the hopes that they'll answer your question, on their podcast, mm -hmm. uh, it becomes not so much about what the question is and what the answer is, but it becomes more like, hey, they mentioned my question on their podcast and other people are listening to it, you know. And uh, so so in some sort of indirect way, I become famous. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> or... Or I I supply my question. And I'm like, oh, it'll be cool when they answer my question on the air, and then they don't answer it at all or, or respond to it in any way, and then I feel dejected, like, uh, yeah, you know, I don't matter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so what you're suggesting is opening a whole can of worms that I'm not sure I want to open, but. Yeah, maybe I'll, I can ask it for oh, you. Okay. Well. Yeah, not that I care about the the answer, but I'm I'm curious how they're gonna research into it, and that's that's the uh, that's their whole thing, uh, trying to find out <clears throat> some of the stuff. But Do you yeah, ever listen to uh, radio shows and um, where somebody calls in? Yeah, a long time and, ago. Yeah. And the host tells them to turn their radio down because there's a delay between mm -hmm. what they're hearing through the radio and what they're uh, hearing yep. through the phone. And so it, mm -hmm. it, inev it inevitably confuses the, the listener. And so yeah. they stop talking and they get, okay. But the whole point of calling into a radio show is so that you'll hear your voice over the radio talking is to it? The, Yeah. Why would I anyone, don't. why would anyone <laughs> call into a radio show? <laughs> to win a prize? Because I, I don't know what you – so I remember uh, being in the car and my dad driving me to school and stuff like that and listening to people uh, calling in. Most of the time, whatever shows I was listening to is giving out tickets to a concert or something like that or some kind of prize if you can answer the questions correctly, uh, trivia-related stuff. So I – I would imagine is to win the prize, but I guess for you, it's more about getting fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the shows like I've listened to Howard Stern for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much lately, but, um, yep. And there's typically a portion of the show where, where callers call in and it's more about the dialogue between the, the mm. person who calls in and the host. And there's actually a group of people that are regular callers and they Jesus. they just like to hear their own voice over the air. Yeah, yeah, and, I'm sure and, that's that's and that's the reason why I would call in actually. Um, <laughs> that's a... <laughs> you know, because it would be so. You know, you hear this this radio host over a period of years, and they be you know they're a celebrity and that sort of thing. Mm 
And so mm-hmm. the idea that uh, you communicating with them in a conversation is sort of a unique experience and yeah. uh, and and unlikely. Mm-hmm. So so when you call into the show, you want to hear your voice over the air talking to the person. <laughs> but if they tell you to turn your your radio down, you don't you don't get that. Well, I you know, it's, it's like not. a it's a cruel uh, twist of fate that you know the universe seems to be uh, mocking. In well, that, you have in that respect. <laughs> I guess you can listen to a recording of it, but uh, it's not the same. Yeah. You want to hear it live, you know. You want to hear because. You're thinking at the same time, everyone across the country is listening to the same show and hearing my yep. voice, hearing me talk to the host, you know, and, and, you know, it's my 15 seconds of fame. Yeah, but if I have to I turn suppose. my radio down, I, I, I'm denied that. I suppose. I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I completely understand and, and agree, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a non, non issue for me, but okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not like the most important issue in my life, yeah. but it is something that I've taken note of. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, the next chapter you have on the list that you. Uh, well, I guess we can talk both of the chapters connect because they are they are connected um, in regards to um, you know the the crime world. Uh, so yeah, there's two di- there's two different issues. Though. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the chapter, why do drug dealers still live with their moms? Uh, uh, so they talked a lot about the crack ec- epidemic in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And that, um, so crack was a was a very profitable drug to sell at the time. Mm-hmm. And so there was, a, there was a lot of money going into that nefarious industry. So the question is, you know, if it's so profitable, why do the people who sell it not have enough money to go out and live on their own? Mm. And the the answer had to do with the structure of the the organization selling the crack. So there were um, there were some high level people that I think they referred to as the board of directors mm-hmm. that that made something on the order of five hundred thousand dollars a year. And then there were there was like a middle level people right. like that sort of were managing the day to day sales and they they made something on the order of a hundred thousand dollars a year, and then there were these uh, foot soldiers, I that might not be what they were called, but it was something like that. No, nope, that was it. Foot soldiers. Foot soldiers that that actually peddled the drugs and they made something like three dollars an hour. Yeah. And then there were there were other people lower than them. Yeah, that you know were hired for very you know like on a contract basis, I guess, and and they made even less. So the yep. question is, you know, th- there's a lot of risk involved with with selling drugs. You could go to jail, and and uh, well, that's die. the biggest risk. You could die. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's violence involved too. So why would you right. risk all that? for such little reward. And, and so the answer again had to do with incentives. Uh, the lower level people wanted to move up the ranks into the the higher level position. So they saw Mm. taking on these, these low paying jobs as opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, however slim to, to, for that to happen. Whereas, you know, if they tried to get a legitimate job, they were uneducated and and uh, yep. 
and all that. So their, their chances of getting legitimate jobs were, were very slim. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. So what was the, so, so why did they live with their moms? Because they're not making enough money. Yep. Basically. But their incentive, yeah. their, their, there's an incentive to stay in that job because there's a possibility that they might move up the ranks. Yeah. Much like a normal, well, much like anything is a corporate structure, you know, so it's, Turns out, turns out the the cr- criminal world is just like that. So this, the very few makes a lot of money, and the rest make n- nothing. So that's why they they couldn't leave or move out, um, you know, of their current um, situation. But so yeah. there must be something to that structure in that it keeps repeating itself in various industries. Um, <laughs> right? Have you ever seen the TV show The Wire? I've seen it. I it did not capture my attention, and I, I have I didn't get into it i've seen a few episodes the wire originally aired on hbo and i think at the time i didn't have access to it uh and it's actually a a 90 show very you know very good show not designed for binge watching because i came by it way after uh i think a few years ago maybe three years ago uh saw it on amazon prime and then just kind of consume it and then realize you know how TV shows today are different than before, but that said, uh, watch binge, watch it binge, binge style nonetheless, and yeah, it was really good, and it's almost as real as you can get to a documentary with regards to um, you know all this stuff, and yeah, it's and and there was one character in the wire who was a drug dealer who also had a business degree, which I think, uh, which they. Yeah. When when they were discussing the crack gangs and Freakonomics, they were talking yep. about a specific person who also had a business degree. Yeah. I wonder if there was a connection there. Um, uh, reminds me of that guy. Yeah, that's very. Uh, yeah. yeah, reminds me of that. that. That's why I brought it up because immediately, the first time I read Freakonomics, I didn't see The Wire, so I couldn't really. This is my only like uh, exposure to that. Of course, I watch other movies and stuff, but you know, you kind of have a peripheral understanding. But this. Le- not legitimize, but demystify and show everything that's underneath. For me, it was fascinating because now I see, it's like, oh, criminal enterprise, corporate, uh, you know, America, literally the same thing, uh, except, you know, we decide one is illegal versus the other, which mm-hmm. is, you know, among other things, for me, it leads to a certain conclusion. But I want to get your thought because I, I was, <clears throat> yeah, and we'll talk about how I'm fascinated with you know, legalizing certain things, but what did you find the most intriguing? Because uh, a lot, a, a lot of it also went down the you know the road of statistic and uh, kind of data. Uh, mm-hmm. Where you know how uh, yeah, versus so the, the last chapter, where where did you stand on this one? So the most interesting part of of this chapter was when they were talking about that uh, the graduate student who went into the housing projects to the research. Yeah, to, to yep. interview um, people on, you know, how it felt to be poor and black, essentially. And he had this yep. list of questions. And it was like, you know, how do you feel about being poor and black? A, good. B, not so good. You know, and, it, and yeah. so he ran into this crack gang in an abandoned housing, like a project project. Uh, Mm-hmm. It was abandoned, like there was no electricity, but the, the crack gang used it as a base of operations. And he tried to ask them the questions, and they essentially uh, held him captive 
for mm-hmm. for a day but but then he but then they started to trust him and uh and so yeah. i thought that that story was interesting that, yeah you know on the human level i guess and you know criminal gangs are are, are interesting to me as well so yeah. the whole thing was interesting yeah that's good but at then least they, you but then they but then they started drilling down on the statistics and it's like <laughs> I guess how you feel about law doesn't apply to statistic. Uh like for me both subject is like that. So I don't I don't consume the information on that level, but I, I do consume the result. So obviously Audible is much easier and same thing. Like if you were in a lecture yeah. hall. No, the I'm, results I'm, are interesting too. So I kept yeah. finding myself being like, All right, just get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in a lecture hall, do you remember how you felt versus, or I guess how you might feel now, if you were kind of in a lecture discussion kind of mode uh, with this kind of information, would it be better for you versus, you know, book format? Um, I mean, there were plenty of lectures where I was fighting, <laughs> fighting to stay awake. Yeah. And I hate absolutely. that feeling. I hate that feeling where I'm nodding off and, you know, like yeah. if I'm driving or in a lecture. Mm. um so what was the question uh the question is you you know the the human the human story capture you but uh i guess you made it through much faster than the the last chapter or um captivate (laughs) you further than the last chapter yeah i don't know it's tough for me to recall Uh, what was the last chapter uh how the kkk is similar to uh real estate agents Um, no, I mean, that's interesting too, because the, a, a person infiltrating the a secret society, that's, I find that interesting. Yeah. And, and I was in a fraternity in college. I, I love the whole secret ritual stuff. I, I love that. It, it'd be cool to be, a, I, I always kind of wanted to be a Mason for, for uh-huh. that purpose, but, uh, <laughs> never, never took any steps to, to make that yeah. happen. And I don't think the Catholic church, not that I care, but. I don't think the Catholic Church likes its uh, congregants to be Masons. I think the yeah. Masons are there's an anti-Catholic strain in there. Yeah, but yeah, the I I find the inf- now that I reread or you know re-expose myself to this chapter, I I kind of forgot all about it, and then I actually looked up that researcher, and he he's on Twitter, the one that visited the uh, the uh, the gangs and interviewed them to depth. Uh, so. He had an Indian I, name, right? The yes, bank, yes. Bank, he's Bankatesh, I believe. Yeah, he's correct. He's an Indian guy. And I um, I don't know if you read the epilogue. So I didn't read the preface and the introduction, but I read the epilogue. And um, he was the one that brought the uh, essentially bookkeeping or accounting information to uh, one of the book writers. And that's how they they worked on a, on a paper and became you know a subject in in this book. But yeah. that's how that's no, how I, I was born. It. I heard that, and and it was, I listened to the whole thing mm. uh, because I need to. I I don't have your ability to not listen to something <laughs> that doesn't interest me if I committed to listening to it. Mm. But I'll listen to it and and be sort of resentful. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it, that was another interesting tidbit too that the criminal gang kept notebooks mm-hmm. of financial data. Yeah. Yeah. Just this one though. Just this one. Not not every every other gangs. So 
but yeah, that was because because that guy. Uh, well, which they I'm must curious. keep they must keep track of that on some level in order for the organization to be profitable, right? Right. I would say the most successful gangs are the ones that do that, right? So the more, I don't know if you ever expose yourself to other cinema like Hong Kong or Chinese cinema or anything like that, but if you, well, maybe you maybe you just know from, you know, comparing gangs in America or gangs anywhere to any other gangs um if you were watching any you know asian cinema uh the japanese gangs uh and then the hong kong gangs or the triads and the yakuza are run and if you ever see their appearance they look a hundred percent as much as possible legit businessmen and this is why this is why they're successful because they run it like a business operation right so mm-hmm. um it only makes sense to me. Uh, what did you, did you think it was like a crazy phenomenon or what did your, what was your take on it? Well, cause you think of, uh, you know, crack dealers mm-hmm. as disorganized, disorganized or, or uned- amateur, un- uneducated, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. really, I mean, if they have, if they're going to be profitable, they need to keep track of, you know, how Cost. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what they're yeah. spending on product and how much they're selling it for, and mm-hmm. and then there's the whole element of avoiding law enforcement as well. Yeah. So it has to be sophisticated on some level. Yeah. Even though from I, the uh, outside it might not appear that way. Correct. Yeah, it's just like that's why I kept uh, remembering the wire because now that I've been watching that show, at one point they had like a. <laughs> I guess a trade union agreement for lack of a better term. And basically all the leaders, all the gang just agreed to a set price because then everybody can make money. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that is amazing. That's exactly what corporation do, you know, uh, as a monopoly or agreeing to each other stuff. And it's, it's the same problem. Yeah, or that's what same, OPEC does. Mm-hmm. It's With the same thing, price. except different, um, you know, different contexts or different products. But uh, very fascinating stuff, and I I loved it. Uh, I think this chapter was for me out of the three that I review for for this episode was the most enjoyable because I kind of don't remember a lot of it when I was I don't remember you know what I remember from the first time reading it. So hmm. loved it uh, for me. Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean from from a from a fifty thousand foot perspective. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But there, there were moments sitting through the chapter that <laughs> I wish they would get to the point. Because, yeah, I, I agree with you as well. But but uh, I think I'm a big fan of it originally because I have never been exposed to any other works that present the, this kind of information that way. Right. And so it's very intriguing to me uh, to, to kind of not study but also be exposed to concept this is why i think i like a lot of documentaries and i think a lot of people do that Mm -hmm. uh because it's storytelling weave into uh you know data as well so Mm -hmm. you don't have to just sit there and you know the documentaries and and the people uh, writing this book for example did already did all the hard research the stuff i i don't want to (laughs) do so they they do all the work that all the legwork i'm not interested in um that you know that's why i like it so pretty cool should we move on to the next chapter yes okay um so that chapter the next chapter is where have all the criminals gone and i i found this one to be very interesting actually 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the the issue was that, and we touched on this earlier, in the 90s, there was a drop in in all sorts of crime, particularly in New York City, but I think nationwide. And uh, in New York City, they attributed that to Rudolph Giuliani and his, his innovative police tactics that he that he implemented. But uh, they determined that it actually had more to do with Roe versus Wade, which um, which was a Supreme Court case in the 73, I believe, that uh, made it legal for for women to have abortions in the United States nationwide. Mm. And so the thinking was that uh, in the 90s, that was 20, 20 or so years after the decision legalizing abortion. And uh, so that would have been the time that had uh, abortions not happened that all, that um, all these be- women would have have children that grew up on this age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So the idea is that if, if um, most criminals grow up uh, in dysfunctional households, either single mothers or, uh, you know, uneducated mothers or, or parents or, or, you know, how environments that, um, are not conducive to raising law-abiding citizens, let's say. And I guess there's a disproportionate number of women in that situation that would be candidates for abortion, for having abortions. So all these babies were being aborted that would have grown up and have been criminals in the 90s. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's, but they, so the fact that they did not exist in the 90s Uh, all these potential criminals uh, was the reason that they attributed to the, to the drop in crime. Yeah. So interesting on a number of levels. One uh, abortion is a, is a taboo subject, obviously, Um, you know, there's, it involves the uh, killing of a, of a baby. (laughs) And a lot of people are against that, of course, Um, understandably so. Um, but it also, but so, so the question is, or one of the questions is, is that a, is that a good trade-off, I guess, <laughs> to, to, uh, allow that to happen in order to realize a drop in crime? Uh, and that's a tough question to answer, obviously. Um, that, but, but there's also the question of, can we even make that argument, you know, Mm -hmm. it are, am I like a a politically correct criminal for even suggesting that that's a possibility that, um, abortion could have a positive outcome of, uh, you know, yeah. And they, they addressed this in the, in the book, uh, as well. Um, you know, they, they said, regardless of all of the other, um, associated you know uh, all the other holes it could digs or a tangent it could go off mm-hmm. fact of the matter is you know they did all the data and it seems to whether it's you know causations or correlation they did all the thing they could do uh and it's 
that seemed to be the story, unless we have another researcher comes out and, and negate it, which they cited several papers uh, that talked about it, but it wasn't, uh, uh, to me, it wasn't overwhelming um, counter arguments. So, uh, yeah, way fascinating of, of a, uh, a chapter. And of course, I'm biased because I, I tend to agree. I haven't read the other uh, counter arguments, but mm -hmm. to me, it was, it makes complete sense to me. I mean, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> So, yeah. I, I would expect Spock to have that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm curious if we can do that. And I think they did. They cited um, not just America, but other places as well, right? Like uh, around the world that have the same uh, net result because of their policy. Uh, I don't remember specifically the examples, but it did occur. So it's, you know, it's, it's double and triple tested elsewhere. So uh, it's not um, it's not something you can dismiss out of hand or just because you have a reaction to it doesn't mean the data is, you know, not true. No, of so course. I, and that speaks to, you know, the evils of PC woke culture more than mm. what we're actually talking about. But um, it, I, I loved how they said everyone got angry. <laughs> with with this yes. result. So like was... the, the hardcore conservative Christian types got angry because it seemed to uh, uh, formulate an argument in favor of abortion, maybe. Uh, um, mm -hmm. And then the people who were pro-abortion also got angry. Uh, and why did they get angry? I don't remember. Uh, I, I don't remember either. Uh, oh, because it's um, it's stigmatized or seem um, um, prejudice against minorities. Oh yeah, and right. low income low income uh, segment of the population. Yeah. So yeah, that's Completely that's, that's reason, a double edged yeah. sword, you know, with revealing some kind of that uh, this kind of data. Now, when the book came out, I think I was still in high school or college. I don't remember. You know, I was exposed to the book way later. Uh, do you remember hearing anything about it? No, because uh, you were, you know, you were working, uh, but I don't remember. I guess it's in the ac academic realm. That's where all this, you know, would have a um, uh, rippling effect. And then, of course, other economists will probably chimed in on all this stuff. But I don't remember anything about it. No, this um, was the first time I've heard that that argument mm -hmm. that yeah, abortion was the reason for the crime drop. That and which which was why this chapter was particularly interesting to me because yeah that was a an interesting twist that i wasn't expecting cool i'm glad that <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad this book brought something to for for you and to you that uh uh i guess uh, you know this podcast can do and i this is why i'm such a big fan of their work because it's not you know it's all it's it's all like what can the information say and is it true and they ask the craziest questions right and then uh, I'm a big fan because I'm like hey if it has if it you know if if we want to go to a certain way with our society you know this is where we need to do to to, to kind of <laughs> kind of understand how humans work and without that context you're just making policy and decisions on wrong information. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, legal and society um, cultures and, of course, how we decide on things have to be based on information that's better than just, for lack of a term, guesstimating. Uh, 
or feelings or, or like, you know, what's, what's taboo to talk about and what's not taboo. Right. To talk about. And that's why I am the way I think that's why I've gone to the way I think and the way I choose uh, versus um, just, you know, following certain contexts or education system for lack of a better term. It's it's hone you. It's it's pushing you toward thinking of a problem a certain way. And if you want to be able to solve a problem, you got to be able to let go of certain things uh, so that you can actually drill down into it deeper. Um and then, you know, crime is one and other things as well. But uh, this way of looking at stuff and how everything is interconnected um, makes it for a much, uh, I don't want to say reliable, but, uh, but, well, I guess better results, right? If you, mm-hmm. if you go to policy with everything you know about, you know, economics and only economics and you don't care about everything else, you're going to be blind, uh, same thing with, you know, attacking certain problems like, you know, climate change from a <laughs> physics uh, physics perspective isn't going to solve that problem because humans is a lot of that. So you have to understand everything in context to everything else. And that's why I love their work. They take everything into consideration and they don't care where uh, where the answer might lead them. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, respected, love that. I respected the that aspect of it. That yeah. they weren't afraid to to touch on taboo topics like uh, like race and abortion. So yeah. Yep. Cool stuff. Any final thoughts um, on this chapter or um, or their work? Um. Well, I, you know, like I appreciate that they exist <laughs> and that they're doing <laughs> the work that they do. I, I don't know that I would read their stuff for for pleasure or you know. Or even yeah. interest, although you know there were there were certainly interesting aspects of it, but mm. it would probably would have been better for me to read it in some condensed form, maybe. Yeah. Although I don't know, condensed forms leave out a lot of the personality of the of the ideas and the people yeah. playing it. So I, I don't know if I can say that with a hundred percent certainty. Um, I, I mean, I guess there is some utility to reading a, or, or consuming something that you wouldn't normally uh, you know, consume or read on your own because it pushes yeah. your, your comfort zone. And it, there's a, yeah, and I would say there's a lot of utility in that. But yeah. 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 So, so good. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad we did this. Definitely. Good. <laughs> Yeah. Good. And uh, yeah, there's, me some, being... there's, there's a begrudging aspect to it, but, but <laughs> I, I, I am aware of that. Yeah. Me <laughs> being a, a fan of the, this stuff, obviously I'm biased, but I would say, you know, between YouTube and TED Talks, this is like other means of accessing the same kind of hemisphere of information as well. Um, and unless I think you're... What, what makes our, po- our interaction on this podcast interesting is that we come at it from different perspectives. And we have different, yeah, I agree. different uh, proclivities. So it's yeah, all, I agree. It, all that is good. <laughs> <laughs> agree. Uh, you know, unless you were a researcher, like a PhD or a student writing a dissertation, uh, I, I can tell you, I, I don't, well, I, I don't read any journals, uh, any, any journal, any science journals or any 
economics journals or any uh, psychology journals. It's just so much research. I'm just like, ugh. So I'm glad, you know, they distill information down to this kind of stuff. And uh, as much as the roundabout way of the, them doing it, I think they have to do it in, a, in that context, in a, in a novel kind of storytelling context before getting to the point. Because otherwise, you you you, you might, you know, dismiss uh, their points uh, out of hand almost immediately. So, you know, if you make the statement, crime rate reduction was uh, achieved by legalizing Roe versus Wade, people are just going to have, you know, is, even with the book, even with that information, with all the research they do, people still have that reaction. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, it's a necessary thing that they have to do to, to, to get the information across. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the story aspect of it was what was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and, and so then they drew a conclusion and that was interesting, but then they spent a lot of time explaining the conclusion. And that's mm. where, I, that's where I zoned out. Yeah. For the, for the most part. Yeah. I think the first time I read it, it was the right demographics. Right. And then the second time I read it, I, I don't need, like you said, I don't need all that uh, fluff. Cause I could just accept it, but uh, you know, going appealing to the masses is what they were, uh, I would assume they were trying to do. So they have to give all that context. So that, uh, yeah. I think for someone that it's like okay. you who have come across a lot of information already or consume stuff, you, you can just, you know, just give me the stuff. You don't need to tell me the whole thing about it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, any, uh, any conclusion thoughts or, or shout out? <laughs> shout out. Um, well, shout out to our, our seven subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. Two of which think... are you and me. <laughs> I don't even know if I subscribe to our, our own channel because uh, it doesn't show. So I, I, can't, I can't tell. But um, yeah, I, I am happy with the new subscribers and if we can get to, I think it's a, oh, it's a large number. It's either a hundred or a thousand. We can get our own like channel name after. So mm. like right now, if you go to our channel, it just youtube.com slash, you know, a bunch of code, code words. So uh, if you go to other channels, be youtube.com slash whatever channel you're, you're on. So that's my um, long-term goal. So hopefully our listeners will keep listening to us. <laughs> Yeah. So that's uh that's awesome. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Um any anything else you want to no. say goodbye? I have nothing else. <laughs> well, thank you for listening and see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, this is Tang here with the Epic Meta Podcast team. Thank you so much for listening. Did you listen to the whole episode? <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Were there things that we missed? Were there topics you would like for us to dive deeper into? And of course, what other topics should we discuss in the future? If you have any of these thoughts or comments, please share with us what you think and how you feel regarding the current episode and of course, uh, other ideas that you might have for future episodes below. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be good and be well. <laughs>